Dwight and I are going out. He will return later, but I will not. I will also be taking a personal day tomorrow and perhaps the next day. Do you want me to ask where you're going? No. Great. Dwight will be driving me deep into the Pennsylvania wilderness where he will then leave me to either die or to survive. The choice is yours. No, the choice is actually yours. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes. And I am leaving you in charge of the office for the rest of the day and for the next several days. Do not try to follow me. Okay, great. This is a very personal, private experience in the wild that I wish to share with me, myself, and I. Yep. When I return, I hope to be a completely changed human being. That'd be great. Did you get that at the end? Jim Michael says, I hope to be a completely changed human being. And uh, Jim says, that would be great. <laughs> so if you've never seen this, um, this storyline behind this is Michael's the office manager. He's kind of a goofball. But uh, the other office managers in the company were all invited on this wilderness retreat, and Michael wasn't invited on it, so he was really offended but uh, he decides to go on his own personal survival retreat. And all he's taking is a roll of duct tape. You saw Dwight holding that and a, um, a knife. And so his plan is to go out and survive in the wilderness and become a new person. Uh, we, we use this clip to introduce uh, the, the message uh, simply because uh, this new series is titled Life in the Wild. And uh, you might wonder where we got that title. How did we come up with that Life in the Wild well, it really originated from a question that we asked, and that question was this, why is it that you will see two people come to faith in Jesus, and you see, you see both their lives impacted, you see changes take place, you see growth take place in both of them, but then when they move ahead and they hit difficulty, pain, uh, disappointment, one of them just seems to fade they just fade out. But the other one presses right through that difficulty and keeps going and even grows in their faith. So what's, what's up with that? Why is that? I mean, to put it a different way, to ask the question a different way, it would be, what are the things we need to understand? What are the, thing, what are the mindsets and the hard attitudes we need to have? What are the relationships we need to have? What are, what are the things we need to do so that when we do hit hardship, we're the person that keeps on going. We're the person that, whose faith grows through that hardship, not the one that just fades out in the face of difficulty and, and hardship and pain. So um, today what we want to do is just kind of set the context and, and really get a, a couple of the core issues. And then over the uh, course of the, really the course of the summer, we're going to be focused on uh, this issue and talking about some of the different basic things in the Christian life that, uh, that God really invites us all into so that, we, so that we can walk through difficulty and pain. And you know, as I think about this, one of the key things, and I believe a core issue in, in us persevering through pain and difficulty is our mindset. It is whether or not our minds are prepared and what we're thinking ahead of time. And what we're actually expecting to have happen. In fact, in First Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter wrote this. And he was writing to a group of people that uh, were facing persecution and difficulty and hardship. 
And he says to them, so prepare your minds for action. Say that word action with me. Action. Prepare your minds for action. Be clear-headed. Rest your confidence completely on the grace that is currently being supplied to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so he starts off by saying, prepare your minds for action. Uh, One of the keys is our minds have to be prepared. We have to know what's coming. You know, sometimes people come to Jesus, and they come with the notion that now that I know God, now that I know Jesus, God's son, and, and I love Jesus, Man, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be living on Easy Street because you know God likes me now. You know maybe God was mad at me before, and that's why I had some of the problems I had. But now that I know Jesus, you know this ought to all be smooth sailing. And I, and I don't know uh, how many of you have ever been told this, or maybe we've told other people. Uh, Jesus is the answer to all your problems in life, and that's a true statement, isn't it? Really, is a true statement. But if I don't define that for the new believer. If I don't help them to understand what that means, then they might go away thinking, well, if I accept Jesus, then I'm not going to have any problems anymore for the rest of my life. I I had a friend that I grew up in high school with that I was, uh, after I got saved, I was sharing the gospel with him, and he kind of cut me off, and he said, you know, a guy at college uh, and I were talking, he told me the same stuff you're telling me, but he told me that when he accepted Jesus, then every day he wakes up, he felt like the sun was shining. He said, so I listened to him, and I prayed the prayer he told me to pray, and I woke up the next morning, and I didn't feel like the sun was shining. And so he took that to mean that it just wasn't true, because he had been, he had been told something that was true for this, for this guy sharing with him, but, but it hadn't been explained. And, and his mind was set on something that was unrealistic. And he was thinking, well, every day I'm going to be, you know, on top of the world and everything's going to seem bright and cheery. And uh, we, we have to have our minds prepared. Have you ever seen the movie um, We Were Soldiers Once? Any fans of that show? Come on, you can admit it. <laughs> we Were Soldiers Once. It's, it's a story uh, based on a book about the first battle in Vietnam. We Were Soldiers Once and Young. And uh, in this story... Uh, it's uh, this Colonel Hal Moore is taking his troops from training in the United States to Vietnam, where he knows they're going to they're going to face battle. And at the final big speech, where he has the the troops all together, and it's the farewell, the send off, the families are there, and, and he says to them, "We're going to go. We're going to face a tough, well trained." And determined enemy. He said, a tough and well trained and determined enemy. And he was preparing their minds for battle. He was preparing their minds for the hardship that was going to come. So when they got there and they found out that this enemy didn't just flee the battlefield as soon as they showed up, they wouldn't be surprised. They wouldn't be shocked. They would understand okay, this is what we're expecting. Here's what we do next. Here's what happens next. You see, our minds have to be prepared. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy, one of his disciples, and and he tells Timothy, basically, you know, be prepared. He says, take the same mindset that you would as a soldier. He said, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
And then he goes on to say, a soldier suffers hardship and is willing and prepared to suffer hardship. And when we recognize that when you become a Christian, it's not like joining a party. It's not like joining the circus where everything, you know, or, or going to the carnival or, or uh, just, just having a good time. When we realize that coming, becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is actually following Jesus, then we can put two and two together and recognize Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. And what he was saying by that was that not all people, but there are going to be some that are going to react violently to the gospel. And, and if you and I really follow Jesus, and don't just put on a Jesus t-shirt, okay? We don't just put a Jesus bumper sticker on our cars, and then that's all there is to following Jesus. If we really follow Jesus, then there are going to be times where we're going to encounter difficulty brought about by other people because they don't want to follow Jesus. I mean, the horrible events in Charleston of last week illustrate that, just the, 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 the tremendous anger and, and prejudice and just the, the murderous rage that was expressed there. It's hard to believe. It's hard to conceive of. But Jesus wants us to know that following him isn't always an easy thing. Now, it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing, and it's the best life you're going to face, you're ever going to have, and it's the only way to live life with any sense of peace and joy and meaning and purpose. It gives us meaning and purpose. But anything in this world that's meaningful and, and has purpose is not going to be easy. So we have to have our minds prepared. He says, have your minds pre- pre- prepare your minds for action. Be clear-headed. You know, I have to be clear, clear-headed. I have to be thinking rightly about who God is and who I am. And then he says, rest your confidence completely in the grace being supplied to you. Now, if you have a translation of that, if you have a Bible here, NIV, NASB, any one of them, they make this verse sound like this grace is going to come when Jesus returns. That's, that's exactly how they translate it. The, the grace that will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Jesus returns. The problem with that is the verb that is used here is in the present tense. And so it means the grace that is being revealed right now. And so the grace that we receive through Christ has been provided through him dying on the cross, bearing our sins, being resurrected from the dead, and grace is there. Just this abundance of grace is there. But what he is saying here is that the more we understand who Jesus is, revelation just simply means something is revealed. Something that was covered before, the cover's taken off, and you see more of it. You understand it more fully. It is revealed. And so the more Jesus is revealed to us, the more we see of him, the more the Holy Spirit opens our minds to, to really grasp who he is. The more of that that happens, the more we clearly we see the grace that's already provided for us and, and we get to engage with it. We get to walk in it. Now, the way this happens, um, well, a number of years ago, in the late 90s, before we moved to Cincinnati, I had um, 
was talking to a church in, in North Carolina about moving there and, and becoming a pastor of this church. And, uh, and it was exciting. I mean, it, it looked like a great place, you know, North Carolina, the weather and everything, and it looked like a cool church. Went through this whole candidating process with them. And then at the last minute, the, the head of the, the, their committee called me, and he said, Van, he said, I have some bad news. He said, we just met a guy that is perfect for us. And when, I mean, I knew that I wasn't perfect for them, and they knew that I wasn't perfect for them. It wasn't, just wasn't a perfect match. But he said, a few of us were at a conference last week, and we got to know this guy, and when we heard his heart, we realized this is really the guy that, that we need to have as our pastor. So, uh, boy, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're not going to extend a call to you on that. Now, I knew that it was, I knew that that was the right thing, okay, because I saw enough, enough rubbing, rub points that would have happened if I'd gone there. Nevertheless, I nosedived into a depression that lasted the better part of that week, and just wondering, you know, what the heck, God? I mean, look at this. We go through this whole process, and then this falls apart at the last minute, and I wanted to move there, and we were all ready, and, and now it's not going to happen, and why did you set this up and then not let it come about? And all these questions, and I mean, I even remember writing in my journal um, saying, God, you make all these promises, but when push comes to shove, where are you? I mean, I was at a low point, and, and that's where my mind was. Well, uh, we had a f- small group that we led that met on Friday nights, and as our small group was meeting, and I mean, I didn't want to go even, but you know, I was the leader, so I had to go. <laughs> Uh, and um, I remember we, 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 were, didn't have, we didn't have a guitarist or anything. We flipped on a CD and started worshiping. And as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to these words, these worship, words of worship, it just dawned on me, wait a second, God, you are good. You are good. And if not going there is the right thing, then there's something else that's good. And I don't need to be worried about that because you are good and I can trust you. And it was, th- that was a revelation. That was a moment of revelation where something that I would have said before, even in spite of what I was writing in my journal, I would have said God's good and now suddenly it just came alive to me and I saw it. And, and so God wants to do that for each one of us. The Holy Spirit wants to take things that we might even know, maybe things we've quoted or stated, uh, maybe even things we'd die for, and, and he wants to just t- take them and kind of like blow them up in our minds. Just suddenly, it's, oh, I see it now. I see it. I understand it. And every time we have that happen, it's like we see more of Jesus and his grace, and we understand his grace more fully because it's there, his grace is there. And because I see it, I can appropriate more of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, let me give you one more quick story, an illustration of this. Where I grew up, uh, we lived in a little valley. And um, oftentimes in the summer, about this time of year, with high humidity and everything, when you get up in the morning, it would be very foggy. And the whole valley would be filled with fog. But if you would drive up the, the road up to the top of the hill you'd hit a point where you'd leave the fog. And I remember driving up that hill, and, and it's foggy enough, you have to be careful with your driving. I mean, you can see the trees and things. It's not that bad, but, but you can't, you know, you, you really have to, you, you have to be alert. But then you come to a point where you break out of the fog. And do you know what happens then? 
the sun's shining. And you go from fog to sunshine. You go from cloudy, vague trees that you can see that are there and you know that are there to suddenly it's all just clear and you can see it. And your heart just lifts as, as you drive out of that fog into the clar- clarity of the sun. And, and that's what God wants to do for each one of us. That's revelation. That's the Holy Spirit taking things. Yeah, you know it's there. You see it. It's a little bit foggy, but you see it. But then suddenly you break out of that fog and you see it in a new way. And God wants to give each one of us revelation like that so that our minds can be prepared. So that we can understand who Jesus is and so we can walk in the fullness of who he is. Because one of the things that we do is, uh, and one of the things, one of the reasons that sometimes we crash is that we try to carry old belief systems over into, the, into this new life with Jesus. And, and things that we learned growing up, things I learned as a child in my family, things things I learned from the friends I hung out with and from the school I went to and from the community I lived in, the, you know, the way to communicate with people. You know, how do you respond to someone who offends you? How, how hard do you work on a job if no one's watching you? I mean, or, uh, how, how, do you, how do you serve other people? There are all sorts of, uh, of things that we, that we carry with us into the Christian life. And there are all these thought patterns and belief systems that really don't transfer, but we try to transfer them. They really don't carry over because they need to change. And one of the things we have to recognize is that very simple fact, that there are things I grew up with that I take as normal that are not kingdom. And I need to, I need to allow God's truth to filter that. And I need to move into this new life with that complete understanding of, okay, loved my parents, loved my hometown, loved my school and my friends, but man, a lot of the stuff I learned there was wrong. And, and, and I've, got to, I've got to allow God to filter that out so that I come into this new life with new understanding. And I'm always ready to abandon the old way of thinking when I see what the kingdom way of thinking is. You see that? You get that? Does that make sense? Yeah, anybody here have a new, get a new cell phone recently or a new computer? Anybody? I, I got a, you guys will understand what I'm saying. I got a new cell phone recently. They told me what to do so I could transfer everything over and not lose everything or anything. I did everything they said. I did it all right. I really did. And I'm going to tell you, there's still stuff that did not transfer, and I can't figure out how to get it. It just didn't go over. Well, there needs to be a filter like that somewhere between me not knowing Jesus and me knowing Jesus. I mean, it's God's grace if there's stuff that doesn't transfer over and it just doesn't make it. Some of the stuff does transfer over and I've got to ditch it then. Now, when, when, uh, any, any of you that are married know this, okay? Especially you guys that are married, you know this. But um, Lori and I were married for a couple of months and I decided I was going to make dinner one night. And so I made an, an elaborate dinner. You know, at least it was a messy dinner with a lot of pots and dirty plates and, and everything. The kitchen was a mess when I was done. I thought the food was good. We ate. And then I had this assumption that since I had cooked, it was going to be her job to clean the kitchen. Yeah, I just thought that was right. That was fair. 
Now, now, fairness to my, my family and growing up, my dad was working 55, 60 hours a week in a factory. And so my mother did cook the meals and she did wash the dishes. And that's what I had seen. And I just thought, well, that's... And I, I wasn't thinking, well, we both work. We both have jobs. And everything doesn't have to be the way it was where I grew up. Well, I learned that quickly that night, okay? Yeah. And so we've always had this rule in our home, and I support it 100%. If you cook it, you clean it. If you make the mess, you're responsible to clean the mess up. That's just part of the whole deal. And so um, if anybody helps you, that's just grace. Yeah, that's just grace. They can help you, but that's just grace. So we've all got things like that, that we've, we've got to, you know, like, well, I, where I grew up, if someone offends you, you go find a good friend and you tell them about it. I mean, how many of us didn't grow up with stuff like that? And then you come, you come to know Jesus, and Jesus is saying, no, don't go gossip about, about somebody that offended you. Go talk to them. Make it right with them. But don't go around complaining to other people, making other people mad at them too. That's not right. But some, but some of us just think, well, that's normal. That's right. That's how you live. And we need to be willing to ditch things like that. And we need preparing our minds. We've got to prepare our minds for this new thing, this new battle. And, um, and that comes from revelation. It really does. It, just, it comes from revelation. So some of the stuff that um, we, we carry over, some of the things that um, are painful and, and, uh, and, and hard that we uh, carry over do have to do with guilt and shame. And if you, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago to hear Wilson's message on our identity as a believer, it's up on the website. Uh, go and listen to it. Two weeks ago, powerful message on what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that we carry over so often is guilt. We carry guilt over, and we allow guilt to still be this major issue in our lives, not realizing that Jesus died for guilt. He died to set us free. Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation, none. We need to begin to grasp that. You know, one of the things that, is, that Will brings out so powerfully, I'm going to refer to it, but you've got to hear his message to really get the full point. That is that we view ourselves still as sinners. But do you know the New Testament doesn't call us sinners? Do you know what the New Testament calls us as believers? It calls us saints. Now, how many people here have some form of a Catholic background? Okay, a lot of you. What's, what is a saint? Oh, more than that. A saint was somebody that they considered to be a holy person, that they considered to be a dedicated servant of Christ. Someone who lived above the norm. Someone who, I think you even had to do a miracle. There had to be a miracle in your, in your life and ministry to be called a saint. Now, the error in that is elevating some Christians to the point of being super Christians and calling them saints. Because the New Testament calls us all saints. And the word saint means holy one. And so, when you accept Jesus, God changes you. You become a new person, a new creation. You become a saint. You're holy in God's eyes. 
And so when we demean ourselves and put ourselves down, what we're doing is we're carrying old thinking that needs, that needs, needs to be dumped. We're carrying old thinking into the Christian life. When we fail at something, and we still fail at things, but when we say, oh, I'm just a failure, or we say, oh, I'm just a loser, or no wonder I, no wonder I did that, I'm just a sinner. You know, we're contradicting God. And something we need to recognize is we don't have the right to say anything about ourselves that God doesn't say. Okay, you get that. We don't have the right to say anything about ourselves that God doesn't say. But sometimes we get this notion that if I just say, you know, I'm just this lousy, you know, I'm a loser, I'm a worm, blah, 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 that that's humility, and somehow we're exalting God by doing that. But it does not, it doesn't honor God for me to deny something he's done for me. Doesn't honor God for me to deny something he's done in my life, that he's done in my life. Listen, I heard this illustration recently. If an artist paints a painting... And then the painting looks at itself, if paintings could do this, we know they can't, but if a painting could talk, and that painting looks at itself and says, what a lousy painting I am. Is that painting, is that humility? Who's the painting really criticizing? It's the artist, it's the painter that's being criticized there. You know, what a lousy job you did on me. So listen, Jesus changes us. When we come to faith in Christ, he changes us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so for me to say, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, uh, that's not what God says. God says, you're saved by grace, that's right. And that grace makes you a saint. I have changed you so that you, in your heart of hearts, you are new. You are a new person. You are a saint. When I say I'm a loser, God says, no, no, you're not a loser. You are victorious in Christ. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You know, there's an Old, there's an old Testament uh, analogy to this where God's talking to the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the blessings he's going to give them. And... Um, any, let's just do this right now. I want you to picture a donkey or a horse, okay? All right, I want you to picture the head, and now I want you to picture the tail. Okay, where's the tail? What happens around the tail area? All sorts of bad stuff. My dad told me that when he was a boy, they still, they still used wagons, buggies, and he said his dad would always throw a blanket over the back of the horse, because bad stuff comes out back around the tail there. And if you're in a buggy and the horse is just a few feet away from you and something happens, you know, it doesn't make for a very pleasant buggy ride. <laughs> but here, here's what God said to the nation of Israel. You will be the head and not the tail. Okay, I like that. I don't want to be the tail. I want to be the head. Okay, don't you? Yeah, do you want to be a t- I don't want to be a tail. I want to be a head. You're a head. You're not a tail. Okay, so stop looking at yourself and calling yourself a tail. Yeah. 
Yeah, we all make mistakes. We, we still sin. We still choose to sin, but that doesn't make us a sinner. My nature is righteous. My nature is holy. And, and Jesus did that, and he's continuing to make it more and more real. And the more revelation I have of who he is, the more of that grace I am, I am able to grasp and just walk in and revel in, and the more visible change other people see in me. But whether you see that visible change or not, the truth is I'm holy. The truth is I'm a child of the living God. The truth is I know God. He's my friend. I am the head and not the tail. And so we need to begin to think this way. This prepares our minds for action. Now, when when we do this, then we're able to deal with the guilt and the shame. And let's just leave that behind. I mean, there are enough problems in life today without dealing with a lifetime of guilt also. Jesus dealt with that. It's gone. We're new. We're changed. And, and we don't have to live with that. And again, go back and listen to Will's message. Okay, so there's a mindset about the expectation of the future that is crucial and uh, that is crucial to pressing through difficulty. I think I already said this, but if your attitude is, now that I know God, I'm going to be living on easy street, then we need to rethink that, okay? We need to understand, because you have to have right expectations. My two older sons uh, both went through basic training in the army, and my, they both went into the National Guard. My oldest one, Chad, went, went into the National Guard when he was 18, he had heard people talk about basic training. People had told him, well, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. But he, he had no idea what it was going to be like. He had no idea the pressure that was going to come and the exhaustion and what mind tricks are played when you get so exhausted and you're so pressured. And so it was tough, man. Going through it was really hard for him. Now, he came home, and his brother, Will's, or not Will, but uh, Will's our uh, 24-year-old son, but Brent, who is our 34-year-old son. He's 10 years older than you, I think. Um, I'm just trying to get this all straight here right now. Um, He joined the National Guard a couple years later. But do you know what? He had two years of stories. He had two years of hearing what happened and how different guys in the unit kind of lost it and went berserk and jumped off buildings and stuff to get out of basic training. He knew all that was coming. And so Brent said, well, when I went into it, I just looked at it all as a game. He said, I I knew they didn't mean that, what they were saying about my mother. They didn't even know my mother, you know. (laughs) They didn't mean that. I'm not going to take that personally. They didn't really mean I was an idiot and a loser. That's just what they're saying to try to get to me. It was just a game. And so he was able to make it through it because his mindset was right. And his mind, his mind was prepared to do it. And so that's encouraging. Did you know that? That that's encouraging to know that there's going to be hard things in the Christian life? In the book of Acts, in fact, it says Acts 14. This is the Apostle Paul. He's been preaching and he's been sitting, developing, starting churches And it says, after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, uh, can you imagine that going into a city totally new, they've never heard of Jesus before, you go in, you preach about Jesus, you heal some people, and you're demonstrating the actual power of the kingdom in that, and and you have 
dozens of people come to faith in Jesus, maybe hundreds, and then you bless them and you walk away and you say, okay, God, I'm trusting them into your hands. That's what Paul did. And so now he's going back to some of the cities he's been to, and as uh, they returned, and he says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, and here's how they strengthened them, saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's how they strengthened their souls, by preparing their minds, telling what this looks going to be hard. Jesus faced hardship. He faced resistance. And, and if you're a follower of his, you're going to face the same thing. He's telling them that so they're prepared for it and, and they're ready to go through it. Now, when, it, when he says enter into the kingdom, uh, he doesn't mean become a Christian. Like he doesn't mean like the same thing he does in John 3 where he says you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. No, a person's born again when they put faith in Jesus. Another, other ways to say it is they receive Jesus into their life. They invite Jesus. And at that moment, we're changed. That's when we become new creations. We're born again. And at that moment, we enter the kingdom. We become part of the kingdom. We're kingdom children. But actually, in this text, in the Greek text, there's another word that is not translated, and that is the word into. Because the word enter actually means to enter into. And so they, they, they say, you, you, it's, through much hardship, we enter into, into the kingdom of God. And so the emphasis there is on penetration, on moving into the kingdom, not stepping across the threshold. Think of it like this. You're walking in a field, you come to the edge of the woods. In a moment's time, you step from the field to the woods. You step In a moment's time, you step from the field into the forest, but you're right on the edge of the forest. Let's think of jungle. I like this. You stepped out of the field into the jungle, and now this is talking about moving on into the heart of the jungle. This is talking about going on in deeper, to enter in, and not only that, but to carry the kingdom with us. He's talking about that as well, carrying the kingdom with us everywhere we go and the kingdom of God moving more deeply into this world. And he says that that happens, and it's always accompanied by hardship. And so to experience a fuller expression of the kingdom in our lives, we have to be ready to face the hardship and to press through it, saying, God, you're good. Uh, Even though this is happening, you're good. I'm trusting you. We're going to get through this. You are bigger than this. You love me in spite of this happening. I'm not going to doubt your love. I'm not going to doubt your goodness. We're just going to press on through this, and I'm going to keep my eyes on you, and we're going we're to go for it. We're not going to let this slow us down. Now, you know, a lot of the pain in life is simply due to living in a broken world. We need to recognize that. Everything doesn't have to have some mysterious reason behind it. I believe this is a problem in the Christian world that hinders us from really maturing and dealing with pain in the right way. The idea that everything has to have some mysterious reason behind it. I mean, you touch a doorknob and then you rub your eye and the next day you come down with a cold. Okay, did God put that germ on the door just for you? I mean, some people think that, oh, well, this is, yeah, I guess it was God's will that I get a cold because, no, that just happened. We live in a broken world. 
And there's a lot of random, you run over a nail, your tire, you can get a flat tire, and you miss the job interview. Okay, I, that's, random stuff happens. Now, the second thing is we experience a lot of things that are the result of our own bad decisions. And maybe if I had made a better decision and left a half hour early, I would have had time to change the tire and made it to the job interview. But there are a lot of things that are just the result of our decisions, the things we carry over that are wrong and are not godly ways to live. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I was about eight years old, and we didn't do this kind of thing often, but my parents told us we're going to go out for something special tonight and dress up. And so, you know, we dressed up such as it meant and got in the car, and I wanted to know where we were going, and they wouldn't tell us. And I was never really bashful about uh, begging and hounding. <laughs> I wasn't one of these kids that would just take that for an answer and sit there and be quiet. So I kept asking and kept asking and kept asking and kept asking, kept asking, and they kept saying, we're not going to tell, we're not going to tell, we're not going to tell. So I got mad because <laughs> I wanted to know. And we finally get there, and they say, okay, we're here, and they're all happy, and, and I'm grumpy, and I got out of the car grumping, and I don't know if I actually stomped my foot or what, but I, there was an ice patch. I hit that ice, and my feet flew out from under me, and bang. I fell down on the sidewalk, and my dad, as he's walking around the car and looking down at me, he said something like this. He said, you know, when you get mad for the wrong reasons, bad things happen. (laughs) You know, if you make the decision to get upset when you shouldn't, something bad might happen. And, I mean, you can spread that thought around a lot of things. If I choose to gossip Instead of go to the person and talk to them, bad stuff's going to happen. If I, if I choose to not honor my boss at work, bad stuff's going to happen. If I choose to not love my wife or listen to her, or if I choose to insist on being right and having the last word in every disagreement we have, bad things are going to happen. So a lot of it happens just because we make dumb decisions. And, and, and that's where th- this filter thing needs to happen, where we think more of a kingdom way. But some of the hardships, a lot of the hardships are due to direct spiritual attack because we're part of an army that's an army of light pressing into a world of darkness. And if we really get what we're here for, then, and, and we're, we're really pressing that, then there's going to be resistance, and, and there's going to be pain because of that resistance. And we need to recognize that, that the, the pain comes because of us pressing in to honor Jesus. I remember uh, um, Luke mentioned Wilson's trip with Robbie Dawkins coming up, which I'm really excited about that for him. And I really want to get everyone praying for that, okay? Just pray that that would be powerful, that Will will grow through it, but that he'll bring something really cool back to us too, which I think is going to happen. But um, I remember Robbie talking about one of the times they were going to film one of the movies, Furious Love or Father of Lights, I can't remember which, and they were just having problem after problem, and uh, the, one of the guys on the trip says, oh, this is going to be an awful trip, look at all the problems that are happening, and Robbie said, are you kidding me? This is going to be a fantastic trip, because look at everything the devil's trying to do to keep us from going. Look at all the stuff he's trying to do to hinder us from getting there. And so it, there's, there is pain and resistance through that, but what we, what we need to recognize is that Jesus 
has taken authority away from the devil and he's given it to us. That's why Jesus came into the world. You know that. And um, we'll, this will come out in another message in this series because we don't really have time to delve into this right now. But the, 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 one of the, the, I think the worst things that happens, I've already alluded to this, is that we try to figure out a reason for all the pain. And we try to figure out, we, we want an equal sign. We want to say hardship equals something of equal value and goodness that I can balance this off in my mind and then I can feel okay about it. Because, well, at least I know that car accident had some good result. Do you follow me? Do you ever do that? Why did this happen? What, you know, sometimes I think we're afraid that God's mad at us and we're trying to figure that out. We need to recognize that if we're in Christ, God doesn't deal with us according to wrath. Jesus already took the wrath. That's gone. But when we're thinking, well, okay, uh, you know, this friend of mine, we just had a friend die prematurely. And, uh, and, and you could say, well, he died prematurely, but people are going to hear the gospel at his funeral. Okay? That, that doesn't equate to me. That, that doesn't give me peace. Uh, you know, people, I, I hear people say, well, we had this car accident. We can't figure out why. Oh, but then we figured out, well, if we hadn't had the accident, if I hadn't lost my leg in that accident, I wouldn't have met this person at the hospital, and this wouldn't have happened, and that wouldn't have happened. Well, those are wonderful things that that happened because God overrules the evil. He overrules the bad things, but we don't need to attribute that bad thing to God. Listen, John 10.10 is real clear. You know what Jesus is doing in John 10.10? He's telling what he's all about. And he's telling that in contrast to what the devil's all about. And so here's what he says. He says the thief, and he's referring to Satan here, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus says this. He says, I come to steal, kill, and destroy for good purposes. Is that what he says? No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So you see, it's this broken world that's dominated by a kingdom of darkness. That's the origin of the pain. God is so big and so good and so wonderful that even when we, when we encounter pain and loss and heartache, he can overrule it. And we trust him for that. That's why we trust him through it. But don't blame him for it. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say, well, it, God did that. I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm just going to say, that happened. God's bigger than that. And God's good. And I don't want to confuse God's goodness because it's hard for me to think of someone losing a child and then trying to think, well, there's some good thing that's going to come out of this. Oh, come on. I mean, there's no harder thing in life than to lose a child. And then to, to try to justify that. No, here's where peace, peace doesn't come from that. Here's where peace comes from. It comes from relationship. It comes from intimacy with Jesus. That's where peace comes from. And so it's Jesus said, abide in me. Be close to me. And he said, my peace I'll give to you. My joy I'll give to you. So it comes from relationship with him, not from balancing everything out in some ledger-like thinking that we're prone to do in our Western cultural mindset. I think that that's a hindrance. I think we need to abandon that type of thinking. And I think we need to just 
press into intimacy with Jesus. God is good. He's good all the time. He loves us. No matter what happens, it cannot thwart the purposes of God in our lives. And we're going to trust him, and we're going to keep on going. Okay, so, all right, that's, we'll leave it at that. We're going to worship now. That's cool. This is going to be awesome. We're going to have an awesome time of worship. And so the worship team is going to come out, and um, Luke's going to come back up here just a second and, and introduce how we're going to do our offering just to make it worship. Yeah, we just, we just want to be thinking, Jesus, this is for you. This is for you. And then, and then, and then uh, sing our, our songs of worship to him. So worship team, you're coming out. Luke. Okay, let's enter into worship together. Um, Like we've said over and over again, giving primarily is worship, and we want to treat it like that. And if you've been around, we've been doing a declaration each service. We've been taking time to all together declare something. Um, It's been up on the screen. We don't have it up on the screen this morning, but I just want to take a small portion of it and declare it together. So if you have heard that declaration before, you'll remember that the last three lines are, he is worthy of it all, he is worthy of it all, he is worthy of it all. And I want to together declare that, but I want to add one thing at the end, and we worship you, Jesus, okay? So it's going to be, he is worthy of it all, he is worthy of it all, He is worthy of it all, and we worship you, Jesus. Ushers, you can come forward for this. And together, let's just declare this. Remember, declaration is the announcement of a new thing. It is our new way of thinking that everything we do is worship for God. And that we, that giving is, and that's especially the one we're focused on, giving is worship. So here we go. He is worthy of it all. 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 And we worship you, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you that you are worthy of it all. We surrender everything to you. You are Lord of our lives. We are not Lord of our lives. You are Lord of our lives. And so, Father, I just thank you for um, the blessings and the fulfillment of promises that you have in store for us. And I ask, Lord, for surprise sources of income. And I ask for promotions and new and better jobs. And Lord, most of all, we ask for deeper intimacy and relationship with you. In Jesus' name.